Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network podcast, where each month we're exploring what it means to be a godly leader in our homes, workplaces, and communities. We want to be a resource for men who are seeking spiritual leadership principles so that they can live and lead differently in all aspects of their life. This initiative is not just about reaching, but equipping men for Christ. As always, listen to the end to hear our guest answer our favorite question, what do you want your legacy to be? And we hope our conversations will help you answer that question yourself and better equip you to pursue it for God's glory. Now this week's episode. Hey guys, thanks for joining in on the Men's Leadership Network podcast and so grateful that uh, you guys are joining in today and I hope and pray that God would speak uh, to you. Uh, today we're joined by Nick Allen and Nick is our campus pastor at a Rolling Hills Nashville campus and Nick is an amazing man of God. He is a husband, a father, a pastor. Uh, Nick has had years of ministry. He's worked with children, with students, with adults and so today we're talking about leading through tragedy. And, you know, just living here in Nashville right now, kind of our uh, bubble has been impacted and our lives have been changed. Uh, the shooting at Covenant School uh, took place uh, last week, and we have been walking through this tragedy individually and as families. Uh, we've also seen um, so many of the storms and people who've died in storms recently. Uh, we've seen, you know, some soldiers uh, up there at Fort Campbell, nine soldiers who were killed as two black black uh, helicopters um, collided and these Blackhawks that went down and uh, we've just had a lot lately and I think all of us are feeling that tension um, but especially for men uh, it's hard and leading our families uh, leading our companies leading our the teams that we coach in sports leading co-workers uh, leading even in our churches and how do we do that how do we lead through times of tragedy and so that's what we want to talk about today and so Nick thanks so much for joining, joining in, in on, uh, on thanks for asking and man yeah. we, are we are so thankful for you, for you. So, so hey tell, hey, us, tell us a little bit about, about your family, family and, and uh, uh, just, just kind of, kind of who your, who your role, role is, is and the spiritual, spiritual leader that you are. Excellent. I'm glad to be here. Um, so I have been married to Susan for almost 23 years now. We'll celebrate that as an anniversary this summer. Um, and we have three kids. Um, and so I'm in the middle of it, like a lot of men. I've got a 16-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter. Um, I'm in the process of teaching and equipping two human beings how to drive cars. And so that's the big thing right now. Um, and then a 10-year-old son. And so we're telling him about all the things that are about to transform in his life. Um, it's kind of in the middle of it. One golden doodle. And uh, we've been in Nashville for almost 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Hey, tell us about your career because you span, as I mean, we're talking about as men, uh, but you span a lot of age groups. And you've... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, but... <laughs> And I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I started ministry right out of the gate. In college, God equipped me with a lot of opportunities. Um, but one, he equipped me with fantastic mentors that kind of led me away from some of the dangers that young adults face um, and put me in positions of ministry leadership and opportunities. And so I'm really thankful for those that invested in me as a young adult. Susan and I got married right out of college, fresh from graduation to a wedding. Um, and have been engaged in vocational ministry ever since. We didn't look at seminary as a prerequisite, um, but as a supplement to what God had called us to do. And so we enrolled and started going to school right away, um, but serving the local church the entire time. And so I started, um, you mentioned career in student ministry, working with middle school and high school kids um, in college. And then our first five uh, years of marriage in Charlotte, moved to Florida for a student ministry position um, for several years, and then came to Rolling Hills because the same opportunity presented itself. So I started here with you serving in middle school and high school ministry, and then saw an opportunity to kind of um, lay a foundation for all of family ministry. We had young kids at the time and so many other people in the life of our church 
um, we were just in a baby boom. You remember those years, and it still kind of stayed that way miraculously. And lots of families uh, just trying to figure out how do we do ministry, how do we partner with parents. And so God gave me an opportunity to do children's ministry for a season and then direct family ministry and then just to put together some adult discipleship teams. Uh, and then as Rolling Hills was continuing to grow and do multi-site ministry, um, the chance came to come and be a part of what he was going to do in Nashville. So we planted the Nashville campus five years ago, um, and I've been there ever since. Wow. Well, as we talk about leading through tragedy, uh, you know, you uh, span, you know, whether you've worked with children, you've worked with students, you've had children, you've had middle school students, you have high school students, uh, but also ministering in Williamson County and in Nashville. And uh, so you've ministered to us so many people. And kind of talk about this, Nick, on a, on, a, on a, you know, big level. Why do we see these senseless tragedies? Why do we see that in our own lives? Why do we see that in the world? And it seems like it's getting more and more today. Tragedy's always been there, and I think, you know, we go to Scripture because um, that's that's our job, and that's what we do, and that's what our call is, and we see from the very beginning it's one senseless tragedy, one big disaster after another, and so the Bible is one part of the apologetic of why we trust it is because it presents to us all the dirty laundry and all the hot messes that these people were. Um, the bottom line is... Uh, I don't think that you get far from the biblical answer, um, that we see evidence of these senseless tragedies in the world, these really big disasters in the world, because we're broken. Mm -hmm. And the evidence of it is never missing. Um, you mentioned uh, that we live in a bubble, and we do. Um, whether that's an American bubble or a Western bubble or a Tennessee bubble, a Nashville or a down in Franklin Williamson County bubble, um, oftentimes the brokenness is masked. It's never missing, um, but sometimes we just do a really good job covering it up really well. It's lipstick on a pig. Like, we can, we can cover up a mess, um, and then all of a sudden, a tragedy strikes, um, and it just reveals it. And, and not just the natural disaster ones or the total accident ones or the ones that nobody sees coming, but also the man-made, hate-fueled ones that come They put all of the cracks of the brokenness of humanity on full display. Um, and so that's, I think that's why we see that. Um, gosh, I would go a step further just to say that the Bible tells us where it comes from, and it's, it's, it's always been there. If we wanted to do a study of evil in the world, um, Genesis, the Tower of Babel, the Plain of Shinar, these people said, come and let us make a name for ourselves. And then Isaiah sums it up in chapter 47. He gives us this whole Babylonian mantra, and, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to think, oh, that's, that's all of humanity. You've trusted in your wickedness, and you've said, nobody sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have misled you when you say to yourself, I am, and there's none besides me. And then Jeremiah, the prophet, he's bringing this message of, hey, guys, return to God. Return to your first love. Trust him with everything that you have. And in chapter 18, he presents this message, and they're like, yeah, those are nice words, but it's no use. We're going to continue with our own plans. We're going to follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Nice words, but save your breath. We're going to keep doing whatever we want to do and see where it leads us. I mean, so we just live in a broken world, and tragedy, uh, probably nothing like it, gives us evidence of that. That's when we see it the most. Mm. It's so hard, too. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's the sin. It's the total depravity of man. Um, it's hurt people, hurt people, and see that sin come out of people's lives and in our lives and, and see the damage that it does. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a, a massive wake of, of damage. Um, and all of us kind of respond in different ways to that, I think. Um, depending on your proximity to a specific tragedy or just your general affinity for a specific people group, um, whether it's a hate crime in an inner city or something really disastrous here or tornadoes in uh, Arkansas, like w because of our affinity to 
these things or just our proximity or even our own trauma, like the things that we've experienced before, we, we can put ourselves in the shoes of people who are facing that kind of devastation um, and we see how messed up the world is yeah. and how hard things are for people. So the fact is, as men, we'll continue to see these tragedies. This isn't going to be going away or fixed until Jesus comes back. Exactly. It's not. Yeah. And so when we talk about how do we lead in the midst of tragedy, I, I think about this most recent tragedy I mean, at Covenant School, and I think uh, yeah, how heartbreaking it is. I mean, you think about three nine-year-old innocent children. Um, they're three amazing godly adults. And how do you talk with your kids about this? How do you lead out uh, following a tragedy like this? You know, it was 2015, um, the summer when the the shooting happened at the church in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. Um, and, and you'll remember Rolling Hills. We kind of put put that on the map of our family ministry at church that year by providing parents with with what we thought talking points were for any age and stage. And so, um, just. <laughs> not giving advice to, to the world, but just in our own family, this is kind of the, the model that we followed. Obviously, that was seven, eight years ago, and our kids were much younger, and so we followed a different plan, but it's it served us really well. It's one, to let them lead, um, to really let your kids um, throw up questions when they want to throw up questions, have conversations when they want to have conversations, tell you what they're hearing when they're ready to tell you what they're hearing. Um, and we do have this really difficult job of, of trying to filter. Uh, we didn't sign up for something that was simple when we became parents. Um, and so we put out several years ago just this idea that radio silence is okay. If your kids are really young, if they are preschool age, if they can make it through this current level of tragedy, without any mention of it, it's okay to do that. Um, Simon was two when that happened in Charleston. We had no plans to talk to him about what that was, about racism in the South, about what could happen at a local church, um, about the anger and the hatred that people feel. We had no plans, and we didn't talk about him at all. And he just went kind of by. With the girls, um, they were elementary school in those years, and so we had this whole censored sensitivity. Like, we framed what they heard and, and what they understood, and we explained there is evil in the world, and you guys know that too, because you're sinners, just like mom and dad are sinners, and that we make mistakes. And we knew that a lot of details um, about really specific things, like we could tell them about World War II and Adolf Hitler, like we could tell them that was a war. This this man, he hated the Jews and did really awful things to them, but we didn't tell them about gas chambers. We, we filtered what they learned as a part of that because of the age that they were in. Um, and then you get to middle school and high school age where they're hearing about it, hundred percent, whether you talk about it or not. Um, and so you dive into full disclosure. Um, we've got to fully disclose everything that's going on in real time when we learn it to help them understand from a biblical framework why trouble comes in life and where we go in times of trouble. Um, that was always our purpose. And that's been our purpose now with a 10 and a 15 and a 16 year old to say, this is why trouble exists in the world. This is why dangerous things happen. Um, and this is where we go when it does. Um, this is who Jesus is. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. When we're afraid, we go to him. When we're scared, we go to him. When we're mad, we go to him. Um, he's there for us. And so just being able to frame that. And then finally, we kind of filtered through what those responses were for parents and said, as a part of this, there's also a call to action. Um, as men, we want to know what we can do, and our kids are asking the same things. They want to know what they can do, and then they also want to see what we're going to do um, to ensure that these things don't happen again uh, and to ensure that we're prepared for them when and if they do. Um, and so they want to see what is that 
15, 16 year old call to action that they can take in response to tragedy? How can they rally around a victim? How can they help somebody who's hurting? How can they be there for a friend? How can they enter the conversation at school and answer tough questions and even use this as a gospel moment to say, I really do know who we can trust when things are really dangerous. How do they leverage that even into a conversation with a friend who's afraid? That's where we've tried to steer things at our house. Wow, I, I think that's so good, Nick, and I really appreciate you saying that and giving us even talking points as men and age appropriate, you know, because it's one thing whether you have a preschooler, it's one thing you have a middle schooler or a high schooler uh, and what they can handle. Um, but I love what you're saying, too, as men, we have to engage, you know, and, and I, I, th- I think too often we would sit back. Um, but man, just like we saw with the, the Nashville police, when they got to the shooting, they went straight in. So different from Ivaldi. Oh. Just wildly different circumstances. Praise the Lord for that, you know? And the boldness of those police officers, these men who just said, hey, we're going straight in, and these aren't even our kids, but we're protecting them. And I think as men, when a tragedy comes, you know, I've always heard that, right? Everything stops in a time of crisis. Uh, You know, and we could be doing our routine and everything else, but man, we have to stop and engage in that. And, And whether it's with our wife or our friends or our kids, our workmates, you know, whether pulling people together and say, hey, let's just stop and pray, acknowledge the situation. What, what do you think as a man, what, what should be the first thing that comes to us when these tragedies come? What, what should we do? You know, I think, you know, we all want to know that we would be the people that engaged it. If there yeah. was a shooter in our workplace or if there was some kind of disaster, if the building was on fire, we want to know where we would go and what we would do. Um, and I think that's a that, that's a prayer-fueled discussion that you have with the Lord to make sure that you're ready and whatever happens to be the man that you're called to be to step up. I, I, I hate to say that I love that we're in the season that we're in when this happened because I wish this didn't happen, but we're in the Easter season. And so we've been preaching through at church um, messages on the book of John, and and one verse just stopped me in my tracks um, as we were reading through John 18. It was John 18, 4, and this is when the mob comes to arrest Jesus. He's told his disciples to pray. He's gone a little further into the garden to pray, and here they come with their torches, and they're ready to arrest him. And, And the Bible says, knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus stepped forward. And I'm thinking, regardless of the risk, I think we've got to be people who are ready to step forward. Um, but for most of us, we weren't in the school last week. We weren't, you know, in the burning building, you know, whenever that happened. Like, we weren't in all the middle of that tragedy. So what do we do? What is our first response? It has to be prayer. It has to be God's Word. And it has to be check on your people. I mean, it, it's, it's check on your people. It's... It see where people are and, and how you can follow up with them. I mean, too many times people retreat into a hole and want to process their feelings on their own, and they're out there on social media. Um, social media should not make the top three list of things that you do in times of crisis. Like, it just shouldn't. Um, but people are out there, and um, I think part of the litmus test for that is if, if, if you tweeted before you text messaged a friend, there's a problem. Um, if you were out there reading whatever everybody else was saying and posting and doing before you were checking on roommate, spouse, your own kids, like your best friend at work, like who? It's people. It's always people. And so one really meaningful way to step up is just to figure out who you are called to be there specifically for in those moments. Um, And I don't want to diminish, and I think because it's become a a cultural hot-button topic, you know, that, that thoughts and prayers aren't enough, If there is a perception out there that thoughts and prayers aren't enough, it's because we haven't done a really good job representing how powerful thoughts and prayers are, Um, that prayer is the answer. 
And, and that's not to say that we stop there. I love what we do to serve um, vulnerable people in Moldova through Justice and Mercy International. I mean, we could talk about them all day long. We, in 20 years of Rolling Hills history, have not stopped praying for kids in Moldova, but we also haven't stopped going. We haven't stopped giving. We haven't stopped creating awareness. We haven't stopped advocating and sending resources to rescue these kids and to provide a hopeful future. It's both. Um, and so I want to say that as men, we, we all want to do something active. And for us, prayer seems passive. Um, well, that means we probably need to work on our prayer life. Um, we want to dispel that rumor and be an, a powerfully praying people. Um, there is a, a difference between the kind of tragedy that struck last week in Nashville and the natural disasters that happen all over the world. And the first response, um, I think part of it also has to include, um, and we do this in a posture of prayer, that that kind of evil that's in the world, that kind of sin, um, that same root is also in us. Um, and, and we need to be a people who say, I'm a sinner, um, and to approach every situation that we go to uh, with a sense of humility. Um, there is an awareness, there's, there's an advocacy, there's an action, and all three of those things revolve around people. So it's, it, it's check on your people, humble yourself, um, and engage whatever the situation is, and God will use you. Um, and that's why we get to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to direct us in those moments, too. Wow, that that's powerful, and and I really do appreciate you saying that because, you know, prayer not only changes things, prayer changes us, Absolutely. and in those times when we stop and we pray before we engage, it impacts the way we engage, and I think that's it's so important for men because we we immediately we want to just jump in, and yet it's just that under your breath, you know, God give me wisdom. Uh, God, let me respond the way you would want me to. And then bringing others to pray around that, too, uh, involves, you know, power. It's action. It's not passive. That That's being active. So I, I think that's—I'm really glad you said that. Uh, and, and there is the do part. I mean, there, there's yeah. a both part. There's the prayer and then the engage. And I think, you know, prayer is engaging, but it's like, how do I do both of those things? And for men, I think we we desperately need that. Talk about that, too, because I think we, we do get locked in on the— uh, covenant shooting and those so heartbreaking i mean i think that's the one that just it's where we're all living right now it is uh but there's also man whether it you know it's it's 9-11 or whether it's you know um tragedies that happen with the storms that we were just talking about uh whether it's the death of a loved one uh in our own family um these things these things happen uh more often than than we wish uh but they will happen in our lives and and as men how can we apply those same principles, whether it's the passing of a loved one or something that happens unexpectedly uh, in our community or in our, or in our country, um, to engaging right now? You know, we talk um, in, in Genesis where God created everything that was in creation, saw that it was good, pronounced it all awesome, um, and then he gets to man huh. and he says, yeah, something's missing. Um, and then even if you go down into the biblical languages, the whole idea is that God made a suitable helper. Mm. Um, and so I think what the world is not lacking is opinions. Um, what the world is not lacking in is solutions. Um, everybody's got 12 of them, and most of the time they're terrible, and we know that. And so I think there's always a place to help. Mm. It just to go into every situation and say, how can I help? Um, there's an availability to that, and then there's also a humility to that. Um, and I think if, if we take that a step further and you get, so here's Adam and Eve, and Adam's alone, and so God brings him a helper, and then you go into the New Testament when when God paints 
kind of a similar picture of, of Christ and his church, Adam and his Eve, we're the helper. Like, that's it. The church is supposed to be the help. We've talked about a lot here. It's kind of this um, famous saying that a lot of pastors have said, this whole, like, if your church was gone, like, all of a sudden tomorrow, if you were gone, what would the community miss? Uh, what would they miss? What would they notice? Like, what would be gone from the community if your church wasn't there? Um, and I think about that just as believers. If if my family on our street or our church in our community or Rolling Hills here in the greater Nashville area, um, how can we help? Um, after the Nashville flood, we rolled up our sleeves. We helped. Um, when tornadoes went through Birmingham, we sent a team. We helped. When there's flooding along the Amazon and people who need uh, food bags, we, we help. I think that's um, number one on the list. I would think, how can we help? Um, how can we help somebody get through the day because they're experiencing loneliness or they're having all kinds of challenges? Um, we saw that with the, the pandemic and the COVID-19. We, we saw people in our church out of work because of it, and so we helped. Um, we saw people who were struggling with illness or who, mm, worst, lost family members. We helped. And I know there's a concept out there of when helping hurts and that sometimes it does exist because we go in a direction that we shouldn't go. But the bottom line, that shouldn't prevent us from going. Like, it's this posture of... Man, I'm so glad you said that. And and it's it's not, you know, like the big ta-da. It's just behind the scenes, what can I do? As I pray, right, as first thing, as I pray, engage, God's going to prompt my heart. And then I see a need and meet it. And what's been amazing to me is just watching how, like you just recapped over the history of Rolling Hills, the men are the ones who just, they see the needs and they meet it. And whether it's somebody who needs a meal, whether it's somebody who needs what happened in Waverly and a bunch of guys get together and go and take grills and cook out food uh, for people who lost their homes. I mean, it's just over and over again. It's that, hey, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be kind and I'm going to see a need and I'm going to meet it. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And we see that as it translates to our kids too. Mm. Um, you pointed out how long I've been here a few minutes ago. Well, I've seen some kids grow up um, in elementary school ministry and student ministry, and now they're they're young adults. And I remember those days when we sent out an all call because an elderly lady in our church needed to have a, a shed moved on her property. She's a widow. And, and what's she going to do in that moment? It was an afternoon, like one afternoon passed before a bunch of men were at her house figuring out the solution to the problem. The tornado put a tree in front of church partners' house over in Donaldson. There were men that afternoon cutting it up before the rain had even stopped. You know, these kinds of things, and their kids are watching, and now their kids are young adults. Those are the first ones who are helping in any kind of crisis, in any kind of situation. When we raise the flag for something's going on at church, it's those kids whose dads have always been showing up to help who are the first ones to say, Hey, Pastor Nick, how can I help? And, and that's what we want. And we see that as it translates. And it's, it's kind of a, a meaningful experience to watch that happen from one generation to another. Yeah, because every generation is going to have tragedy. Every generation is going to be fighting battles. And they're watching to see how we respond to this one. And it's going to frame the way that they respond to the next one. Mm, exactly. Well, hey, how do we point others to Jesus in times of tragedy? I mean, as men, uh, that's always not or maybe our go-to. Our go-to is like, hey, what can we do to to help, but how do we use those times, even tragedy, um, to bring others closer to the Lord? We, we have to have um, hard, deep conversations about just the total depravity of man mm-hmm. and, and just the idea that that, that same sin that was in so-and-so is it, the root lives in me, that selfishness, I am and there's none beside me, it's my way or the highway, that kind of attitude lives in all of us. 
And when these kind of things happen, um, it is, it's an opportunity to say the world's broken, but I know the solution. Um, when we're living in the land of plenty and the milk and honey is awesome and everybody's resourced well and nobody has any problems and the mask is faultless, it, it's hard to have that conversation about what somebody's real deep need is. Um, now in the city of Nashville, because of what happened, um, it doesn't matter how well resourced you are. It doesn't matter how much of your life is together. Everybody knows what their point of need is. Um, and so this is, this is a moment like no other to be able to have those kind of conversations. Yeah, this man, this is our time. Absolutely. Our time to step up. Step up. Yep. Knowing everything that might happen, we step up. Yeah. Hey, are there any specific verses that you use during times of tragedy? Any things that you just kind of, whether you keep it in your Bible or on your phone or somewhere that are kind of your go-to that you need? You know, this was funny because I knew we were going to talk about this. And and I love Psalm 34, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Mm. Um, I love the Sermon on the Mount when it, it says that we're blessed when we mourn because we will be. It's not we might be, but we we will be comforted. I asked my kids, and my oldest said, this is a verse that came to my dad, and she quoted Psalm 3, 5, and she says, I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Mm. And I'm like, okay. As long as he lets us, we're just going to get up the next day. And um, my heart is breaking um, for the parents and the family members um, who can't say that about their loved one last week. Um, and yet here we are. Um, we know that our home is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. That's where our eternity will be. But right now our feet are on the earth. And so as long as they're here, the Lord will sustain us. Um, and then I, I, I can't not go to a sovereignty verse. Um, in Amos chapter 3, it says, When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to the city, has not the Lord caused it? And we need that. As hard as that is to read, we need that. Because the alternative is a Lord that's not in control. Um, and I need to know that God was in control whenever the hurricane came, um, that he wasn't um, off busy doing something else. I need to know that the Lord is just as present in Nashville now as he was a week ago and as he was two weeks before that, um, and that he is always in control because the alternative is a God that doesn't have all things figured out. Um, and I would much rather put my heart and hope in the hand of a God who knows everything and is there for us no matter what. Um, you know, Susan and I, because of Simon and his illness, he has cystic fibrosis, and we have walked a precious journey with that because he's been so healthy. Um, but it's always been really important to us to go to John 9. When Jesus met a man that was born blind, um, the disciples asked, okay, whose sin caused this? Um, and Jesus said, neither. Uh, it wasn't the man that was born blind or his parents, um, but this happens for the glory of God. Mm. And somehow or another, I don't have it all figured out, Somehow or another, no matter what happens, no matter what tragedy strikes, it is for the glory of God. And, and he'll do that. Yeah. yeah. That's powerful. And, and I think as men, helping our, our kids or our family or our classmates or people just to see that, to see God's fingerprints even in it. Um, you know, as a guy came up yesterday, he said, you know, my brother was at that school. He said over 200 rounds were fired. Um, and he goes, he, because I just, I just know God protected so many people, you know, in, in the middle of this tragedy. And then the teachers who held on to these kids, you know, the, the good Samaritans who got out and stopped traffic so kids could cross the street. The police who came running in. I mean, it just over and over The and community over rallied. The community rallied. And evil doesn't win. And that's what I think we got to come back to is good triumphs. Ultimately, there is evil in this world. There's brokenness in the world. But God wins. So... 
talk about that because this is Easter, man. This is like Easter is coming up. Uh, and how does Easter impact our understanding of tragedies in the world today? Gosh, I probably want to ask you that question. <laughs> um, you know, we're going into, spoiler alert, Rolling Hills is heading into a series on Romans um, after this series on Easter. And I'm so excited about that. Um, but there is, uh, towards the end of Romans 8, um, man, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger in the sword? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in these things we are more than conquerors mm-hmm. through him who loved us. Um, and the Easter story is a love story. Um, and so that's what we get to say because he was victorious over death on a cross, we get to be victorious over whatever tragedy happens in our world. Devil doesn't win. Devil doesn't win. We got to hold on to that, you know. Um, I know we're coming to a close, but man, it is so good. I could just stay here all day with you, Nick, on this. Uh, and I do, I do just, I think you're so wise. And the, and the fact is for men, this is our time. And when these tragedies come, and I would say to every man out there, this is the time to search your own heart and my own heart, right? And, and really making Christ the center in the everyday, because we don't know when the tragedies are going to come. And so every morning when I wake up, I got to set my mind and my heart on the Lord so that I'm ready for whatever I face in that day. And I think that's so important. And as your church family, we want to be there for you. Yeah. Um, we want to resource you. If there are specific things that you're dealing with, your own fear, your own anxiety, your own anger around whatever's going on, let's talk about that. Let's not get. Let's not let it get to category five before we address it. Let's talk about it now. Um, we have resources, you know, not the ones that I mentioned about the Charleston tragedy and how we're working through this with our own family, but Sissy Goff and our community has put out incredible resources for parents to help their kids walk through this. And it's not just a help for kids walking through this, it's a help for us. Mm-hmm. I read through that list and I need it. Um, and it's the same thing. Chase Baker, family pastor, got to interview um, Kathy Kuhn, our counseling director, and folks from Refuge Center for Counseling last week. There are resources that are available. We'll put them in all the show notes and stuff so you can access those. Because as we go through tragedy, we have to be a church family that's there for one another. Yeah, and getting help and getting counseling. I mean, if, you know, or even as men, if you want to call one of us as a pastor uh, on staff, if you want to go to a versus men's Bible study group, uh, if you need counseling for your kids to talk with them, this is the time, you know, and, uh, and pressing in and having those conversations and not being passive, but being active in our prayer life and in our relationships with one another. I do think, uh, you know, on Monday when um, Patrick called and he has two kids at the school and he's like, please pray for me. I'm driving as fast as I can. I don't know what I'm going to find uh, at my kid's school. And then he said this, you know, but I know what I will find is whatever happens, I'll stand on that rooftop and shout God is sovereign. And I'm going to hold on to God with whatever I've got. And I think for us as men, we've got to settle that question in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And I trust that God is sovereign. Exactly. No matter what. No matter what. And so I think for all of us, guys, we just want to encourage you today. We want to tell you we're with you in the middle of the tragedy, in the middle of the storms. And uh, we're walking through this together. And God has a plan for you and for your family and for all of us together by his grace and for his glory. Hey, Nick, one, one last question. What do you want your legacy to be? That, I don't know what I would have said a week ago, but um, what Patrick just did, mm. um, that whole thing like that, regardless of what happened in life, regardless of where he went, regardless of who he was with, um, that he stood on the rooftops and said, all glory to God, mm. no matter what. Um, I just, I want to be that kind of Christian. Yeah. So, And then I want that to be passed down. I want my kids, I want them to grow up that way, regardless of what happens to their dad, regardless of what they see in this life. I want them to be those kind of people that grow up and say, regardless, um, 
as for me and my house mm. for the rest of my life, we'll serve the Lord. Um, all glory to him. Hey, Nick, would you pray for us as we close this out? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Father God, we thank you for this day. Um, It's a day that you created. It's a day that you gave purpose to. There is not a single surprise in it to you. Um, And so, God, I pray that we would be wholly dedicated to you, um, that we would be a people who in humility, um, who in humility um, serve the people around us offer help to the world as an example of of the way Christ is a help to us. Um, Father, I pray that in all things um, we would claim um, his blood and his life um, and his gift, the gospel, the good news that we've received in Jesus, and that we would leverage every opportunity on good days and not so good days to talk about how good Jesus is and how blessed we are to know and follow him. Be with men, God, and the points of intersection that they have with their families and the community around them, their workplaces, their schools, and in leadership all over the place. God, would you give them power? Would you give them strength? Would you give them resolve to be the kind of men that you've created them to be? Men with purpose, um, men who boldly step up and step into whatever situation is in front of them to declare who you are and why you came. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Wow. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. And guys, thanks for listening in on the Men's Leadership Network podcast. And our God is growing men uh, to be spiritual leaders. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in our lives together. Hey, be looking too for the Man Minute. It comes out every Friday. You don't want to miss it. Hey, invite some other men too to, to listen to this podcast or to join in on the Man Minute. And then on May 4th, we have verses coming up and it's going to be incredible. And so Jeff Foxworthy is going to be there. Mike Fisher, he's going to be hilarious, right? And Mike Fisher. And guys, we need to be together. So this is an invite to all your, man, coworkers, you know, classmates, anybody you know, sports teams. Get guys out there because it's going to be incredible and be life impacting for everyone. Thanks again for joining in. Blessings on you today. You've been listening to the Men's Leadership Network podcast. We pray that what you've learned today will be helpful as you strive to become a better leader in your home, your workplace, and community. And as always, if you were impacted by today's podcast, we hope that you'll subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others. And be sure to join our email list so you make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that now and find all of our past episodes at mensleadershipnetwork.com. We'll be back with a new episode on the first Friday of every month. Thanks for listening.